getting real now. <laughs> One service in. Uh, I said at the first service, I talked to lead team this last week, and I said, this feels like a pregnancy that we've been gestating for like 48 weeks. Uh, having uh, connected with Nicole about this process in our story, being encouraged to pray about a possibility of coming here as a family and being in your midst. And it is a gift and a powerful one to stand before you finally uh, and to be a part of our common work together. Friends, my name is Andy Maddock. I'm lead pastor as of about two hours ago here at Valencia United Methodist Church. You betcha. And this will be one of those sermons where there will be some introduction time. You'll get to know me a little better. That'll unfold over time. Uh, but one of the things that you need to know about me uh, is that I count myself a real man of prayer, and so I want to invite you to join me in a word of prayer as we get started in this time. Gracious and holy God, we honor you and we give you praise for this morning, for the gifts of song and worship and fellowship in our lives here in this place. We ask for your blessings upon all who've gathered here. We ask that in this moment that your spirit come, settle us in, to move among us, cross the rows and the aisles, and draw us not just together but closer to you in our time. We ask that in this hour we might be able to faithfully say that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, that they have been acceptable in your sight. O Lord, who is indeed our strength and the source of all salvation. Amen. If you are visiting this morning, boy, do I have some exciting news for you. So am I. There are members of this church that surround you in the pews, everybody who looks really comfortable, who looks like they, one, know what's going on, but two, are really worried about what the new guy's going to say. Ask them about the church life, because I'm still learning myself as we come into this place. Uh, but when I was in college at Southern Methodist University in Dallas, I had the opportunity to work and help and, and go out from our campus ministry into local churches in small itty-bitty towns in Texas. And I remember one Sunday we visited a church that felt to me to be in the middle of nowhere. And during their welcome time, they had visitors stand up and introduce themselves. Tell me your name, your spouse's name, your children's name, what you do for a living, what Methodist church you used to be a part of, or if not, how long you've been thinking about wanting to become a Methodist in the first place. That's a way to get your talons in somebody real quick. I'm not putting anybody but myself on the spot this morning. Breathe deep. We'll be okay together. I also did take off my gorgeous lay. I'll put it back on for the benediction and to greet you a little later. It's a fantastic thing, but two things are true. At the first service, it clipped my mic, and the whole service, my microphone just went in and out like a trombone and kept getting caught in the flowers. That was a distraction. Didn't want that. The other thing that's worth knowing about me is I actually have a pretty good flower allergy. Easter and Christmas are rough for me. Poinsettias are bad. Lilies are worse. And so having that many real flowers this close to my face as I tried to proclaim the Word of God last hour was a bit of an adventure. So I made an executive decision. I know the aloha welcome. You can take pictures with me with it later. We're just going to set it aside. I want to rewind from my college experience and introduce you to a young kid. This is me when I was growing up. A couple of things to note. My ears have always been this big. I've always had issues with cowlicks in the front and in the back. It's okay. I've always been a fan of superheroes. I've always had a cheesy grin. But this is a kid that lived in 13 houses in 18 years growing up. My dad's a Methodist minister. We moved a lot for his ministry. And then we also come from blended families. And so over the course of my parents' divorce and resettling home to home, we found ourselves moving quite a bit so that when I did move to SMU, uh, as a 17-year-old, to start my freshman year in college, that was the 13th house I'd moved into in 18 years of my life. 
This is a kid who knows something about being the new guy, about wandering into communities, just as you're making space for us this morning, and wondering, are they going to like me? Is it going to be okay? Do I have a booger in my nose? Is this going to go poorly? That social anxiety about being new in the midst. This is a kid who was used to being the family that moved, and it was not until in Simi just a few years ago did I sit in your seats and see a pastor that I loved under appointment get reappointed to a new setting and had to be a part of the community of faith who said goodbye. I was always a part of the new kids in town. That was our experience. But it's been a warm welcome here. Let me, let me tell you about how things are going. Our family lives in what's called a parsonage. If you don't speak Methodist ease, that the church provides for pastoral families, and it's near our campus. It's lovely. We're having a grand time, but I would like to file a complaint. So Doug Wirtz and Doug Spiker and others this morning who are involved in this process, Terry, leadership team folks, I'm grateful for you. The house was well cleaned, well maintained. It's a beautiful space. We enjoy it. We'd love to have you over at some point to experience it. But when we moved in a couple of weeks ago, I went upstairs and I'm exploring the closets in the house. I'm going, oh, look at all the surprises this holds. And tucked away... It's okay, Doug. I understand your line of work. You miss things sometimes. This was way in the back. But in the back of the closet (laughs) was a giant shoe. And it spoke to me. It's a little Max Smart for me. But it said, I represent a 51-year legacy of faithfulness on this corner. I represent beloved pastors. I represent pastors some people didn't like. I represent hopes and expectations and all of the things that the people of God pack into their expectation of what pastoral leadership comes from. And I went, that is a big shoe to fill. For those of you who are curious, this is size 22. Lakers fans, this is the size that Shaquille O'Neal wears. It is not his shoe. Don't rush the stage. (laughs) Big shoes sometimes get left behind in parsonages when pastors move in. Then we came over to the office. We met Deb and the staff. We thought, this is going to be great. These people are fantastic. I went into my office with all of my manly stuff there, and I looked back in the corner, and there were a pair of shoes left there. I listened to the shoes. One said, I'm Nicole. I said, I'm Michelle. (laughs) Welcome. But we're big shoes too. And I'm not going to fill these for a whole bunch of reasons. (laughs) These are actually size 17, I think we found. 16, something like that. When you look for large women's shoes on Amazon, it's amazing what you can find. (laughs) They're part of the legacy and heritage and the history of this place. They're sacred and a part of your work and a part of your common life and a part of your expectation about what God's going to do in this place. And to be honest and fair, Andy is never going to fill these shoes well. I'll tell you about my shoe. I do have a big foot, size 15. And my shoe, right? And my shoes fit me. They probably wouldn't fit you. No, they wouldn't fit these folks. 
but they're mine and I can own them. I can own my space, my story, my experience. And while I'll never fully be able to fill the shoes that were left behind, I hope at the very least we can begin to trust one another and live forward with some authenticity and honesty with each other. And to say, I trust your shoes. And I want to walk with, not in, the great legacy of this place for as long as I can here in this place. But let's talk about shoes. Do you have a favorite pair of shoes? Do you have that pair of shoes that you know you're going to grab if you're running down to the market to get something? Do you have a different pair of shoes that you pull on if you know you have to do some hard work? Do you have that pair of shoes that lives right outside the door that you garden in and you dare not wear into the house or your partner's going to yell at you for the mud you track in? Do you have that pair of house slippers that you throw on when something goes bump in the night? Do you have that pair of shoes that you remember wearing when you met your child's potential spouse or partner? How many of you have more than one pair of shoes in your closet? All right, fair enough. Some of you have piles of shoes like this. I follow a shoe aficionado. And so uh, what I know about this shoe experience is that little kid that you met in those slides wore that size 15 shoe by my freshman year in high school. Which means when I was moving from those houses, I was also growing at a tremendous rate. And I never had time for an old comfortable pair of shoes. Now that I've settled in as an adult, I've got some more comfortable pairs of shoes that I've probably overworn their welcome. But growing up, that was not my experience. They were always a bit too small or a bit too snug. They weren't broken in, and you kind of had to walk funny in your new shoes because they never quite felt right. And so I wanna, what I want to name as we get started is that if things feel a little uncomfortable, a little out of the ordinary, it may be a part of God's new growth in us. When things kind of aren't shrugging on quite the right way, give it some time. Because it may be a part of the Spirit breaking us into one another. The other thing we do with these big piles of shoes sometimes is have to leave them behind. When we were packing up Jackson's closet, you met that giant human being earlier. Uh, when we were packing up his closet, one of the things I realized is we had shoes in the back of his closet that he hasn't worn in years they were too small for his feet, but we couldn't bring ourselves to throw them away because we knew the story of them, or we paid too much for them, or they were a gift, and so they just sat in the closet. And so sometimes leaving is as hard as coming, but sometimes those need to be left behind. With all of that in front of us, let's take a look at our scripture for the day. One of my favorite call stories, John chapter 1, verse 43 and following, reads in this way, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. And he found Philip, and he said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael. And Philip said to him, we have found the one whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote about. It's Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come from Nazareth? Nazareth. And Philip said, come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him, he said of him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, Where did you come to know me? And Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. And Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered, Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? Oh, you're going to see grander things than this. 
you're going to see, very truly I tell you, you'll see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This is one of my favorite call stories because it is an invitation to the unknown. Nathaniel has no idea what's going to happen, and in fact, he has to overcome his bias and suspicion about Nazareth. And it is also interpersonal, because the call for Philip worked fine. Jesus showed up and said, follow me. And Philip said, sounds good. There is a level of holy trust in there which is profound. In some ways, some of you are ready for a new ministry. And if I were to say to you, trust me and follow me into the new directions that God is leading us, there would be an opportunity for you to say, yup, sounds good to me. But there are always skeptics in our midst, and I count myself among them, and Nathaniel is one. So he comes to Nathaniel, he says, Moses wrote about the guy, the prophets wrote about the guy, I couldn't be more excited, you should come and meet Jesus, he's the son of Joseph, he's from Nazareth. And Nathaniel's response washes out all of his friend's excitement. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Anything at all. Nathaniel says the quiet part out loud. He speaks aloud his bias, his prejudice, maybe his racism, his expectation which has been cultivated out of his direct experience or out of the stories of others. I know Nazareth, says Nathaniel. Nothing good comes from there. The people are bad. The water is bad. The food is bad. We don't go there. And you're telling me that this guy you're so excited about is from Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? That might be a question you have this morning. All right, tall, furry man, I hear you. Can anything good come out of Andy Maddock? Still to be determined. Nobody asked me this directly in the same way, but the implication was there, and it was clear that we had discerned God's call for us to come here. The question of, can anything good come out of Valencia? Awesome town of all places. Can anything good come from there? I probably went too far for the camera, I apologize. I was told not to wander quite as far. I'll behave. Can anything good come from Nazareth? And Philip's answer is come and see. Come and see. And that'll be the invitational refrain that we will use throughout this month as we come to know each other. As I tell you my stories, as I come to hear yours, it'll be an opportunity for us to come and to see what God is doing in our lives right now and where we feel called for God's work in the days, weeks, and months ahead. Come and see is not defensive. Philip didn't go, how dare you? My whole family on my aunt's side is from Nazareth. How dare you besmirch them? His first response to his friend is not to let his anger reign and to respond in kind. It is not proof texting. He does not bring his Bible to the conversation and beat his friend about the head with it and say, if you only knew the word of God, you would know that this is exactly who we were waiting for because that's what Matthew does. Matthew chapter 2, verse 23 says, Jesus comes as the Son of God, and he was a Nazarene because the prophets said he would be. He doesn't have to have the right texts to quote 
to invite somebody into a deeper relationship with God in the unknown places in their lives. He simply has to say, come and see, because come and see is also not having all the right answers. Philip's not a Christian apologist. He doesn't say, these are all the things you need to know about who Jesus is. These are all the defenses that I got taught in some Bible study or some school or some book I read about why it is you need to know all the things I know before you're ready to come and see. No, it's none of those things. Come and see is, in fact, an opportunity to be invitational. What is unspoken in come and see is the words, with me. Come and see with me. It's invitational. When it comes to church growth and church health, there's a big word that a lot of us pastor types spend a lot of time and energy and interest in. It starts with an E. And some of you who've been around a while or gone to some leadership trainings with Reverend Nicole are going, oh, I know that word. It's, it's evangelism. No. The most important E in church life is not evangelism, my friends. It's elbow. Who's at yours in your life? Who can you offer yours to and say, come with me and see the good things that God is doing in my church, in my life, in my family, in my community, in the world because of the people that God has put me with? Come and see his invitational. But I confess it is also trusting and vulnerable. Because he didn't defend himself, because he didn't have the right arguments to make, Philip trusts to God that in inviting Nathaniel to come and see what Jesus is all about, it serves as an opportunity for Nathaniel to also see the things that he does. And there's risk there, there's fear there when we say, well, what if you don't appreciate the things about my church? What if you're the type that stands out on the patio and says, the praise band was too loud today? Can you believe it? The pastor talked too long. Whatever the complaint is, you have to worry about that sense of, can I trust with my vulnerability the access that I want you to provide to something that I cherish so much? My experience of who God is in this place and the work that we do together. There is risk involved in come and see, and yet we take that chance. The other thing that is is authentic. For 22 years of ministry, I've been trying to ring the same bell for who I want to be. I want to be someone who makes Scripture real and relevant in people's lives. This was an experience, this come and see story that happened nearly 2,000 years ago. Nobody drives a car that old. Google didn't exist then. And yet, we take these stories that are fundamental to our faith and we draw out of them a sense of hope and possibility for how we will live our lives together. Come and see is an authentic opportunity to not say, you should come and see what God is doing because it's in a book and a museum that you can come and visit. It's authentic when it says, the worship here feeds me. The preaching here nourishes me. And I equip, I'm equipped for today and tomorrow. Not because of what used to be, but in an authentic way about what God is doing now. Come and see values relation over persuasion. If your favorite book is 10 Ways to Make Friends and Influence People, I've got news for you. Jesus would rather have you make friends and relate to people than to influence them. Because the invitation to come and see is relational. It is invitational. It is not persuasion. It requires companionship. It requires journeying together. 
And it requires that sense of companionship that says, I don't have all the answers. I can't just send you on your way, but I am willing to walk with you so that you might come with me and see. Relationship is the keys to the very kingdom of God. And so when Nathaniel does come, when he does come and see Jesus, Jesus has a reply for him, a retort of a bit. And so when he's coming over the hill, he says, here comes an Israelite in whom there is no guile, in whom there is nothing false. And Nathaniel's taken back by it. How do, how do you know me? Excuse me? I mean, that's true, but how do you know that? And Jesus says, I saw you before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree. Three quick asides. Biblical scholars love to tease this out. What is Jesus talking about this fig tree stuff? Three possibilities. Take your favorite home with you. One is super, super imaginative. The idea that mothers used to place their children under the large branches of fig trees to keep them cool in the shade when they had to continue gathering water or working in the field. Maybe it's a lifelong thing. Jesus says, I saw you from the way back when your mama used to put you under the branch, when your hair used to stick up goofy and your ears were even more pronounced. I knew you back then. Or maybe it's something simple yet teased out. I knew he was calling you while you were sitting under the fig tree over there. Now, I didn't see it, but I knew it happened. And Nathaniel's impressed. Third option is that the fig tree is something that just sticks in Nathaniel's craw. It's a vulnerable moment. Maybe he was struggling. Maybe he was heartbroken. Maybe he was downcast. Maybe he had questions. But he found himself under the fig tree waiting and watching. He knew that that was a moment of great depth. All we do know is that when Jesus says that to Nathanael, his experience goes from, can anything good come from Nazareth? How do you possibly know me? To proclaiming, Rabbi, you are the Son of God and the King of Israel. That is a dramatic turnabout, friends. All because of the fig tree. What it says to me, what I take away, is that Jesus meets us in the moments that matter. Those can be hard times. Those can be struggles. They can be pastoral changes and deep transitions. They can be on mission trips as we send our SSP team out next week. They can be on the mountaintops at camping ministry like so many of our young people are experiencing this next week. They can be in the struggles at the sides of hospital beds and at the sides of coffins and gravesides. They can be in all of those places because the moments that matter to you matter to God. Jesus meets us in the moments that matter. And Nathaniel's impressed. But Jesus says, oh, you're going to see so much more. You're going to see so much more. You were impressed because I said I saw you under the fig tree. Well, come and follow and come and see because you're going to see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on me as the Son of Man. What Jesus wants this new convert to know is that the experience of Jesus is an intersection of heaven and earth. It is an intersection of something sacred and yet profane. It is an intersection of something simple and yet profound in the person of Jesus and in the experience of worship itself. We take all of our lively lived lives and match that to the divinity of God. And Jesus says, you're going to see that happen. So come with me. Come and check it out. Come and see how we can make a difference. We're going to ask ourselves quite a bit this month, 
the months to come and the years to come together. Can anything good come out of this? The answer, friends, is come and see. Join me in a moment of prayer, will you?